Breaking It Down with Frank McKay. This is 1039 LI News Radio. I'd like to welcome everyone to Breaking It Down. Frank McKay here with a legend and someone who uh, has has some story to tell. I, I, I don't know that there's a similar story in uh, in in the world, never mind rock music, and uh, they're just simply not making any more Leonard Skinnerds uh, and and the uh, you know Led Zeppelins of the world, and and you know all of the classic rock bands, and they're not making any more Artemis Pyle either. <laughs> and, uh, and I'll tell you what, uh, he is one of a kind, and what a career that uh, that he has had. Uh, before, during, and, and after uh, a tragedy, and he's a survivor. He's got to have some survivor uh, points by everyone there. Just uh, a, a rock and roll hall of famer, and uh, just absolutely thrilled, honored to have you, Artemis. How are you? I'm good, Frank. Um, I'll just put one thing, <clears throat> one little caveat in there. Um, the reason anybody even knows my name is because of a man named Ronnie Van Zant. Um, if it, he's, he is truly the legend. And, um, I would just say that I'm, I'm happy to be included. Well, listen, you're part of a legendary outfit that, that Ronnie was Ronnie's vision. And I, listen, since, since we kind of went down, uh, started down that path, Give us a little on Ronnie. He uh, he was a one of a kind. There's no question about it. Uh, he had a vision. Uh, he had drive. He had talent. Uh, uh, just to, uh, give us a little something from the from the inside about Ronnie Van Zant that we might not know about. Well, um, you know, I roomed with Ronnie all over the world, and um, we shared a a stateroom on our tour bus. And um, I feel like I spent more time with Ronnie in the last few years of his life uh, than anybody in his family because uh, we were on the road, you know, most of the time. So I can definitely share that uh, besides Ronnie being a prolific writer and uh, an excellent uh, fisherman, he fished with style and grace. And um, I was always a horrible fisherman. I'm too fidgety. Me too. And, uh, you know, I just, I'm not a good, uh, I, can't, I can't catch fish very well. Ronnie was great. Um, something that I share about Ronnie that most people don't know is his handwriting. He had a beautiful cursive. Um, my mother had a, a, a beautiful handwriting. And Ronnie uh, did as well. Um, and, uh, I always, you know, love that comparison, uh, with my mom and Ronnie about the two of them and their, their curve, uh, uh, handwriting. And, uh, but you know, that's, that's the Ronnie that, that you get to know when you're with him every day and you, you watch him sign things for people. And, um, he, um, was a really nice person. Uh, any of us that drink too much, it turns our personalities around. I know back in the days I'd do shots of tequila, uh, and then, you know, I, I turned into a crazy person. Um, 
the pressure that Ronnie was always under, um, being uh, on on the world stage uh, with people like Mick Jagger and Neil Young and and Paul McCartney, um, you know, Ronnie, uh, you know, definitely <clears throat> had uh, th- that Ronnie as well, where he'd have a few scotches, you know, and he'd get a little ornery. But that's the way anybody, um, you know, that has a few drinks. But when Ronnie was just, uh, you know, hanging out, he was uh, a gentleman and he was very pleasant to be around. And um, I I love Ronnie. I I miss him. Uh, I thought uh, in my mind we were very close friends. And... um, I, I was able to tell Ronnie things that other people wouldn't because a lot of people were afraid of Ronnie, uh, members of the band, because Ronnie was kind of their father growing up because the members of the band, uh, they didn't all have fathers growing up, and Ronnie kind of took that role. Um, Ronnie and I had a different relationship because I was older than, than I mean, he was uh, just a little bit older than me, but we were about the same age. Um, and we were both older than all the other members of the band. So, um, you know, the, uh, the Ronnie that I knew, uh, was a great person. He, um, he liked people. Uh, if, if you were a nice person and a good person, Ronnie didn't care if you were black, uh, from China, uh, you know, or gay. Uh, if you're a good person, then you're a good person, period. And that's the way Ronnie felt, and that's the way I feel. Just uh, amazing to to talk to this man. If you're just joining us uh, a little late, Frank McKay here. Much more importantly, Artemis Pyle is here. And I'll tell you what, uh, just a, a, a legend and what he did, a heroic figure in the face of adversity that none of us, uh, none of us, uh, very one, you know, point one zero 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 one percent of us may uh, may experience, and it's the horrendous uh, plane crash of of Leonard Skinnerd, and at the height of their career that lost so many, you know, great lives, and, and of course the legend Ronnie Van Zant, but uh, Artemis Pyle, uh, just uh, from all accounts, my first time ever talking to him, but from all accounts, just a heroic figure bringing people outside of that crash and just absolutely absolutely amazing uh artemis pile here with me frank mckay uh, you mentioned uh you know ronnie in in a way that some people have heard of him some people haven't heard of him when i think of ronnie van sant i i think of uh, i think of a uh, uh you know like a leader you know and you mentioned that as being a father and and being the driving force behind a not only not only a band but a style that and I don't know that we'll see it again, but the influence that you guys and Leonard Skinner have had is now seen in country music more than more than anything else. I mean, certainly the rock music, whatever's left of rock music, uh, new bands coming out, but the the country rockers. Um, 
are are really descendants of you guys who were southern rockers you will rock with a country feel these guys a country with rock feel and it, between uh, what what you guys did as a band but ronnie as a leader ronnie as a visionary i'd have to believe that uh, that he'd be very proud of what what you guys left behind as a legacy well you know uh ronnie had a huge legacy uh, Steve Gaines, um, you, you know, that was killed in the crash. Uh, he and Ronnie had just discovered uh, their ability to write together, uh, to perform together on stage. And, you know, Ronnie, when you think about it, we'd be playing in front of, ten, uh, you know, uh, 200,000 people at these outdoor festivals. And Ronnie would actually walk off stage during... Uh, the song we performed called Ain't No Good Life, and Steve would sing it. It was a Steve Gaines song. So it showed me, when I watched that happen, you know, Ronnie would walk to the side of the stage and towel off, you know, uh, maybe have a smoke, um, you know, a drink of water, while Steve was singing. And it, it just made me realize that Ronnie had a tremendous um, confidence in not only himself, but in Steve Gaines to let Steve go out and front uh, the band without Ronnie on stage, uh, a band that Ronnie had worked so hard and gone through so much to, to bring it to bear um, was incredible to me, uh, his confidence in Steve and himself uh, to be able to watch that on our last shows uh, where, you know, Steve would, would sing one. Uh, I just, uh, that, that still to this day amazes me. And of course, Ronnie was a prolific writer and Steve Gaines was, you know, after we lost Ed King um, to the rigors of the road, you know, um, <clears throat> Ed had had basically enough of the, uh, the drugs, the alcohol, the fighting, and he, you know, he left. And then eventually, you know, Steve Gaines came in, which was a beautiful thing. Um, I love Ed, you know, we, we lost Ed a few years ago. Um, but Steve was just a stellar person. And Ronnie really tried hard to show Steve the best side of, uh, of, of himself and they wrote those great songs together. Um, so, you know, it, it's, I, I look back and I think that Ronnie had a chance to establish his legacy, which will stand forever. And Steve got a little bit of that, but he didn't get quite as much. Um, there, was, there was going to be collaborations with Neil Young. And uh, Neil had written songs for Ronnie. I talked to Neil about this one time and uh, Neil had songs that he was going to submit to Ronnie. And of course that never happened because Ronnie was killed. Um, but that would, you know, when you think about that collaboration, yeah. when Sweet Home Alabama and uh, Southern Man uh, collide, what would that have sounded like? <laughs> um, you know, Ronnie would have collaborated with many country artists Um you know, and, and it would have been amazing, but I think Ronnie would have always kept uh, his bread and butter together. I think Leonard Skinner 
would still be together uh, this day, but everybody, including Steve, would have collaborated with other people. So, um, you know, it was an amazing legacy that the band left and Ronnie left and Steve left. Uh, but it, you know, you always wonder what could have been. It could have gone uh, even higher. It could have gone as high as William Shatner went this morning when he went to space. Wow. You know, and uh, I, I watched that and uh, I got to, you know, a couple of years ago, I got to play uh, for Mr. Shatner um, on, a, on an album, a Christmas album that he did. Um, and I played on Walking in a Winter Wonderland. And uh, <clears throat> Mr. Shatner uh, texted me back after we sent him the file uh, back to Las Vegas when I finished the song, cutting the track, and he sent back, I love it. And uh, I was so pr- so proud of that. And then watching him at 90 years old go into space, and uh, he was very emotional uh, looking back at planet Earth on how really small um, we sit in the universe. And uh, I noticed that he was, uh, he was very emotional uh, about that, viewing <clears throat> Earth from space. And, uh, but, you know, the, the movie that we did, um, I appreciate you, you know, uh, pushing the movie a little bit. A couple of things I want to tell you about that. Number one, um, I gave my story to Hollywood. I didn't make a dime. I could have sold it for a million bucks, I guess, but I wasn't holding out for money. I wanted the story to be told. And, um, you know, Skinner fans and, and myself were, were not getting younger, and I wanted to tell the story of what happened um, to us that fateful day and night. And I've been in three airplane crashes. Uh, that plane, that was my third airplane crash, the Skinner crash. Uh, one when I was young, uh, 11 years old, and one in the military. And then, of course, the Skinner crash, which everybody knows about. But I appreciate you so much um, because we released our movie uh, last year, you know, at the beginning of COVID. And it's difficult to release a movie under any circumstances. Uh, but to release it under COVID, uh, so I'm looking, even I, uh, since it was uh, over a year ago that we uh, released our soundtrack and the movie, I'm looking at the whole project as basically still being brand new. Um, yeah, you know, and of course, I'm, I'm speaking of Street Survivors, the true story of the Leonard Skinner plane crash. And, um, you know, I, I would encourage anybody uh, to see it. It's a live action film with young actors and actresses portraying us and they put their their hearts and souls into those roles and you know because we were under a lawsuit the entire time that judy van zant brought against us for no reason and i'd asked her to come to the table with gary and let's make it together but she decided to get a bunch of blood-sucking weasel attorneys and come after us and uh, eventually, in the Second Circuit Court of Appeals, three judges unanimously voted against Judy. Uh, long story short, we won. She lost. She paid $2.5 million. 
which would have gone a long way on our budget. We only had a million eight hundred thousand to do the film, and uh, we beat her. Uh, the movie's done. Uh, it's out there. I'm very proud of it, um, and uh, especially, you know, I have to give kudos to Cleopatra Films, uh, which is Brian Pereira, you know, out of Los Angeles, and Tim Yasui, uh, the director, Jared Cohn, and, uh, and then my sons, my band, and my friends wrote the soundtrack for the movie, uh, which we are very proud of. It's incredible music. And we only used one song that some people would consider Skinnerd, but it's not. It's a J.J. Cale song called Call Me the Breeze, and Ronnie made it famous. Uh, but we used that in the movie. We paid our licensing fee and used it in the movie because it's J.J. Cale and not Skinnerd. Therefore, Judy Van Zandt wouldn't have any right to sue us even for that. Um, so we didn't use any Skinnerd music. And, of course, Skinnerd music is in dozens of movies and television shows and uh, made-for-TV movies. So... You know, we uh, wrote an all-new soundtrack. I'm very proud of it. Um, my sons wrote four songs for the movie soundtrack, and uh, we performed those songs. My band, APB, we wrote a song called Street Survivor for the title track, and uh, it's one of the best Southern rock songs I've ever heard, uh, if I do say so ourselves, and we wrote it and arranged it, and... Uh, so I would encourage anybody to see the movie. It's not for children. It's got nudity and, um, you know, foul language and, and drugs and alcohol. But that's kind of the way it was in the 60s and 70s. So, you know, it's, it's accurate. Um, I was wondering, Frank, if you're old enough to remember when uh, people would streak. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The 70s were big on streaking at, at at games, at uh, events. I think the Olympics had a streaker. I think the the Academy Awards had a streaker once yeah. one year. But it was it was a big big fad at one point, big time. Well, yeah, we'd be doing Freebird, you know, these outdoor festivals and and indoor as well. But we played the large arenas and all these yeah. places, and you know, um, the girls would strip off their clothes and run across stage during Freebird. I guess so they could tell their grandchildren. Uh, and, you know, when the girls did it, the band, we really enjoyed that. <laughs> but when the guys did it, not so much. Uh, but uh, so I put that in the movie because it's accurate. It's not just a gratuitous nudity because the girls would flash us. And, of course, they were all beautiful. And we we, we love that. And uh, so, you know, the, the movie is um very accurate except in some um we didn't have the budget to use the proper airplane uh we used a really cool plane it's a c-117 uh tail dragger we called them i'm a pilot yeah. and um but we couldn't we didn't have the money to use um the conveyors that, that like we crashed because they're very expensive and um we had to use three planes, one for interior shots, one for flight, you know, in-flight shots, and then one um, for wreckage, you know, wreckage parts. So had we had the budget that we needed, <clears throat> we could have used, 
you know, the the exact airplane. But that's not something that bothers me. If somebody goes, you know, oh, you didn't have the right plane. Well, that's because of the lawsuit that Judy brought against us. It's because we didn't have a big enough budget. You know, and as I said, the two and a half million dollars that Judy spent on attorneys uh, would have gone a long way on our production values. Uh, we could have done location shooting, but we did the best we could with what we had. And I'm extremely proud of Cleopatra and the cast, the crew, everybody that put uh, music into the soundtrack. Um, you know, I'm, I'm very satisfied and, and happy with what we were able to accomplish. And, you know, I, I appreciate uh, radio stations uh, like you helping us, you know, get the word out that the movie is out there. And if you haven't seen it, um, you know, it's very intense. Uh, I would say get a box of uh, Kleenex, yeah. you know, um, uh, to have with you um, because it, it is, it, it is intense, but it, I had to kind of make it my story because had I, brought in the perspectives from somebody else's point of view, uh, Judy would have sued me for that too. Uh, she, she, she would sue her mother. She sues everybody. Yeah. Um, if a big on lawsuits, that's for sure. Let me interrupt for one reason. Let me, let me just remind everyone you're listening to breaking it down. Frank McKay here, much more importantly, uh, Artemis Pyle, legendary drummer of the legendary Leonard Skinner. He's very modest. Uh, he, you know, he's giving the credit uh, to to really the uh, one of uh, one of a kind, Ronnie Van Zant. Uh, Frank McKay, reminding everyone who may have stepped away that uh, you're listening to breaking it down and. The, the main reason for this conversation is is to talk about a film that is a must, must watch. It's called Street Survivors, the story of Leonard Skinner's plane crash. And, I mean, there is not another story like it in history. I, I just can't imagine. The Buddy Holly plane crash, uh, that it, it's, it, it's different. And uh, there's a man here who is a heroic figure, and he... he brought people out of that crash, the survivors. Uh, he helped, and uh, he's a heroic figure in my book. Uh, a, a survivor of three plane crashes, which is unbelievable. Uh, we appreciate his, uh, his, his uh, supporting the country in the military. We love him for that, but I'll tell you, we love him for the music and, and for everything else. This is a must-watch. I'll say it again. Street Survivors, the story of the Leonard Skinner plane crash. Frank McKay here with Artemis Pyle. Uh, Artemis, uh, welcome back for and uh, to everyone who stepped away for a second. And to you, uh, Artemis, I didn't mean to cut you off, but let me just tell you, this is a unique story. There's there's nothing like it. I mean, if you can give me an, a, a comparison, give it to me. But I can't think of anything that's quite like the Leonard Skinner plane crash, the tragedy that happened, the uh, the the legacy that uh, that changed the, uh, how it changed music. Uh, I mean, give me a, a historical comp if you know of one, if you know of a comparison, give it to me. But I don't know anything like it. Well, Frank, you know, <clears throat> we um, my band just played in Iowa um, Saturday night. Uh, we had a 24 hour drive on our tour bus. Uh, we have uh, Lenny Kravitz's tour bus that he designed. It's a 99 Prevo. And um, we went out to Minnesota and Iowa uh, and played Friday and Saturday night. 
And, uh, you know, you were speaking of in Iowa, Clear Lake, uh, where Buddy Holly lost his life and the Big Bopper um, and Richie Valens. Um, you know, we were in Iowa uh, last Saturday night. And uh, somebody had mentioned that to me, that, that Clear Lake wasn't that, that far away and um, asked me if I'd ever played the uh, surf, surf ballroom there in Clear Lake, which I have. Uh, I actually was able to go in the phone booth where Richie Valens called back to his brother um, the night that uh, they had that crash. But all plane crashes are similar that, you know, that they're, um, they're intriguing. Um, but our plane crash was unique um, in, in the sense that, um, you know, we all went down together on, on, a, on our airplane and we had our name painted on the side of it. We were on a 95 city world tour. We were going back to Japan, back to Europe for the 10th time. And we were going to Australia and we were on the, the first five shows, uh, was the leg of uh, the American leg. And we were using, you know, our airplane, we played um, in Greenville, South Carolina, which is, you know, I always think it in these terms, it's the last place that Ronnie Van Zant ever sang Freebird. Yeah. Um, and it was a great show. We were raising money for Toys for Tots, uh, a Marine Corps um, uh, thing to raise, uh, you know, yeah. money and toys for children. And uh, that Greenville was our, our last show. We were on our way to Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And we ran out of fuel uh, over Mississippi, spiraled in from 9,000 feet, and um, hit the ground pretty hard. Six people were killed on impact. Our pilot and co-pilot, uh, road manager, Dean Kilpatrick, Cassie Gaines, and, and Ronnie and Steve. And uh, I was able to survive and get out of the crash wreckage and walk out to a farmhouse and bring help back to the crash site, which was very important because everybody was bleeding to death and uh, every second was a drop of blood. And, you know, I used my Marine Corps training to put one foot in front of the other and get to that farmhouse and, and bring uh, the rescuers, <clears throat> you know, back to the crash site. And um, I only did what anybody would do that had the strength to do it. And my Marine Corps training, you know, kicked in. Uh, that is what the movie is about. And, of course, this month, <clears throat> on October the 20th, um, is, is that day that we crashed. And, Frank, for 40 years, you know, I've always, I get very sad uh, the days and weeks leading up to that day. And on the 40th anniversary, we played in Chicago. And I decided that that was it, that I was sad for 40 years. That's long enough to be sad. Um, and, you know, I, I decided to change my whole thinking and just remember the good times and remember how strong the music is. And the fact that last Saturday night, I talked to people that told me where they were when the plane crashed and what the songs mean to them. They, they buried a friend, a free bird, or their high school uh, prom theme was Sweet Home Alabama, or, you know, how they used the songs in different ways. And I hear this every time we play. 
And my band, APB, uh, plays Leonard Skinner music better than any band in the world. And um, we don't, you know, there's not a bad song. So every single song we do in our set, um, you know, everybody's fist bumping and singing every word with us. Uh, the Skinner fans that are out there, they mean the world to me. Um, the Skinner fans and being the drummer of Leonard Skinner has saved my life. Uh, because, you know, you, you know that music is the language of the universe. And uh, being the drummer of Leonard Skinner at 73 years old, I still play like I'm 30. Mm. And uh, a, a two-hour show, and we end with Freebird. And uh, I would I would challenge a, a 25-year-old to try that. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, it's I, I just decided that uh, on the on – the, anniversary of the plane crash that I'm, I'm just going to think about the good times. I'm going to think about what a great person Cassie Gaines and Steve Gaines and their family and what a prolific, great songwriter and great person, Ronnie, you know, and our, our friend Dean Kilpatrick that was killed. He was amazing. He loved the band with all his heart, our pilot and co-pilot. They were good guys, you know, but they made some really bad mistakes and it cost them their lives. Um, so, you know, I, I, I think about the, 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 it was tragic, but I don't, I don't let it get me to the point that I get morbid or uh, depressed. I, I mean, there's always a certain amount of depression, but I just think about the strength of the music where we use it to raise money for children, cancer, um, all of the things that, you know, firefighters, police officers, we use the Skinner music to raise money for the right causes. Um, and let me just interject, uh, on the 24th of this month, October, in Nashville, Tennessee, at the Country Music Hall of Fame, uh, my band is opening up for Dolly Parton, and we're doing a, um, a show for Breast Cancer Awareness I believe it's the Susan B. Komen uh, Foundation. And uh, we've done several shows with Dolly now. Um, I, I feel like we're friends. Uh, Dolly and I have discussed it. We may even be uh, related because we're both from ten Tennessee and Kentucky. So, you know, that's just an example of the power of the music um, to raise money for the right causes, <clears throat> you know, and, uh, we get to play with Dolly Parton, who, as far as I'm concerned, she's the number one entertainer, singer, songwriter, performer, and humanitarian on this planet. Yeah, I'm with you there, no question. Amazing woman. And uh, let me let me remind folks once again, Artemis Pyle, uh, from the Artemis Pyle band, and of course from the legendary Leonard Skinner, and we're talking about the the plane crash. The anniversary of, of this tragic event, he survived three plane crashes, but the one, of course, everyone remembers is the, uh, is the Leonard Skinner plane crash and uh, Artemis Pyle, the drummer of that legendary band, and, and, and the film is a, uh, is a must. Uh, you know, everyone must, uh, must see this. And it came out during COVID, so it is uh, it is fresh, and it's called Street Survivors, the sto the true story 
of the Leonard Skinner plane crash, and you will never get the story told like like this because uh, the the man who wrote the outline for this story was uh, was the man who lived it that night. His uh, his Marine training, uh, as we just heard here, was uh, it was instrumental in in him getting the other survivors out. Uh, a, a heroic figure, and I'll tell you, Marshall and Chris, who uh, those are his two sons, who who wrote some great music for the soundtrack. They got to be very proud of their old man. And uh, as, as all of us, all Skinnerd fans and rock fans alike are, Artemis Pyle, they will never be another one like him. Uh, he's just absolutely amazing. The Artemis Pyle band, I haven't seen them live. I will. Everyone raves about them. I mean, raves about Artemis Pyle band. And, and no one plays Skinnerd like them. And uh, they'll, uh, again, be playing with... Dolly Parton, that'd be something, Artemis, if you're related to Dolly. Uh, you talk about a legend, Dolly Parton is a living legend. Frank McKay here with Artemis Pyle from Leonard Skinner. Uh, Artemis, uh, where where do you hope the uh, the film goes? It, there, There's so much to be said for a historical record of this. This this is unique. Not often do you get a a survivor of a plane crash, but less often do you get a survivor of a famous plane crash who lives to tell a story and then creates a movie, helps create a movie. With, by the way, uh, Cleopatra uh, Records and Films, uh, they're a class act. Uh, they've always always been from day one. A lot of talent there. But uh, where where do you hope this stands in the big picture? Uh, you really set a, a historic record here. A very important film. Well, thank you for all that, Frank. And I, I appreciate you mentioning my sons uh, working on the soundtrack. Uh, that's that's a big deal. And um, I I really feel like um, th- th- as far as a film record um, of of what went down, um, Cleopatra. As I said, we had limited funds, and we had. Uh, a lawsuit being thrown at us the entire time, but I think they they hung in there. Um, many film companies could have dropped. They could they could have just said, "Look, we give up. You know, <clears throat> we won't do the film. Uh, you know, leave us alone. Cancel the lawsuit." But they didn't. They stood up to um, all of the powerful thousand dollar an hour attorneys that came at us. Um, they, they hung in there, uh, there, they, these attorneys, uh, really played some dirty tricks. Um, but, uh, in the end, we went to the uh, court of appeals, three judges, that's our constitution voted unanimously against Judy Van Zant and the lawsuit. And, um, bottom line is she lost, we won the movies out and it, and it, it, you know, it's an intense movie with today's CGI um, film techniques, you know, the, the crash scene is very intense. It always gets me. And, um, um, it's, it's intense. Um, and, and as I say, you know, the, the film is as accurate as we could under the circumstances. And when I say that, I don't mean that it's not accurate. It's just that we couldn't use the proper airplane because we didn't have the budget, but it's a twin engine. And it's got a cool-looking cabin. You know, I'm a pilot. Yeah. I don't have a current ticket, but I've flown all my life. I started flying with my, my uncle when I was, like, you know, uh, nine. Yeah. And uh, 
So my father was killed in a plane crash. Uh, I'm a pilot. My friends were killed in plane crashes. Uh, the plane crash. I've been in three crashes. So I felt that I was qualified to tell the story. And, you know, I think at one point, Ron Howard was going to make a film um, about, you know, and that would have been great because I, I actually met Opie on Martha's Vineyard um, one year. I went out to Martha's Vineyard uh, with some members of Wet Willie and I was having dinner and, and Ron Howard sat at the table right next to me and uh, and we spoke and he had heard of Leonard Skinner. He'd heard of Wet Willie. And, uh, of course, I felt like I knew him because, you know, you grow up with Opie. Yeah. Um, and Ron Howard had approached, I believe, Judy Van Zant. Uh, this is the story I got through the grapevine, um, you know, to do a film about the band. But Judy demanded all of the money, all of the control, and she wanted the movie to only be about Ronnie, not the band. And so Ron Howard said, well, you know, I'm going to pass. Uh, so this movie could have been made by, you know, the likes of Ron Howard. Um, but it wasn't. Um, we had to do it on our own, on a shoestring budget, uh, the best way we knew how. And I am so proud of Cleopatra, the, the crew, um, the actors and actresses making a movie that could have been put on a shelf, you know, but they still put their hearts into those roles. And uh, all of the support and everybody that wrote music um, you know, it was important for me to get Ed King's name into the movie because Ed wasn't on board the plane uh, with us, but he is so instrumental. Bob Burns, um, the great Bob Burns and Ed were so instrumental in, in the making of Leonard Skinner. I wanted to make sure that, that they were in the movie and mentioned. And um, so I, I got their names in there. Uh, it was important for me to get my father uh, in there. He was portrayed because when we took off from Greenville, South Carolina, um, I, I remember that's a place that I saw my father take off in one of his company planes because he was an architect and he had flo flown down in a Beechcraft Baron. And that's the last time I saw my father was on that tarmac where we left that day uh, before the crash. So it was important, you know, to get, my father and, and Ed King uh, and Ed actually co-wrote an instrumental piece that we used in the movie soundtrack called In Memory Of uh, with a good friend of his, Brian Mabry, out of Nashville. So we were able to include everybody that Vector Management out of Nashville, which is, you know, Gary's management, has tried to, you know, basically shit on over the years and uh, we tried to include all the people that they tried um, to diminish their role in Skinner, uh, Vector Management I'm talking about. Yeah. And that includes me. Uh, they have tried to diminish my role, Bob's role, uh, Ed King's role. And to me, Bob Burns and Ed King, if it wasn't without them, the arc of the Leonard Skinner band may have been very different. Uh, Ronnie Van Zandt was such a, a great writer that he would have done something with somebody somewhere. Um, but, uh, Ed and Bob were very instrumental, uh, in that band. So, you know, I tried to pay tribute, uh, to them and, uh, I'm, I'm very proud of the film. 
you know, uh, the the farmer that uh, shot me when I was going for help, he always denied shooting me because, you know, it, it was like somebody said, hey, uh, the Leonard Skinner crashed on your farm and one of the guys uh, survived. Uh, and Johnny Moat was like, yeah, but I shot him, <laughs> you know, and, oh and it's like, it's that like, unbelievable. it's like, you know, uh, even in that, I mean, there's a little bit of humor in that, of course, oh uh, but it, it, we're talking about a very serious thing, but, you know, Johnny always denied it. And finally he admitted, you know, Jake Tapper from CNN, when he was working with VH1, uh, Jake asked him, he said, did you, did you have a gun? And, you know, Johnny said, yes. He said, did you come out of your cabin and pointed at Artemis? He goes, yes. He said, did you pull the trigger? And he said, yes. And Jake Tapper said, well, how can you say that you didn't shoot Artemis? And he goes, well, it must have been a ricochet. <laughs> well, you, you know, Frank, I'm here to tell you, I don't give a damn. I don't give a damn if it was a ricochet. I heard a gunshot and something went through my left shoulder. And, and, you know, and I, I thought I'd been shot and I was already in shock. I, I, had, I was already starting to get in, go into deep shock from physical and mental injuries from the plane crash. Um, and, and so I was in severe shock at the time that I, that he shot at me and it hit me in the left shoulder. So he finally admitted it. Um, you know, because who wants to be the guy that shot the only remaining member of Skinner? That's what he thought at the time. Mm -hmm. And of course, I, you know, I looked like Charles Manson and I was covered with blood, you know, so oh I, he, he was just protecting his family. I never, I never had an issue with that. And uh, it was, it was very intense. And so the movie tells the story. The soundtrack is beautiful. Um, and I would just su suggest to everybody, you know, um, see the movie, revel in the music, listen to some Skinner. There's not a bad song. And Frank, I, I want to tell you, uh, if we are ever playing anywhere near where you are, um, please come and see the band. Uh, we'll roll out the red carpet for you, hang out with the guys, and you'll see that my guys are not pretentious at all. None of my band members dress up like Skinner. You know, Gary's band, they, they put hats and make everybody dress up and try to make the fans think that it's Billy Powell and Alan Collins. And, you know, I don't require that of my band. As a matter of fact, my band are all successful businessmen that have, you know, beautiful wives and children and homes and businesses. They've worked very hard. They don't need this band to make money. They do this because, you know, I'm 73. They're in their 50s. They grew up with this music. They love it as much as I do, and they play it with respect and honor and accuracy. And, uh, you know, I don't require them to look like a Southern rock, you know, like me, an old long-haired hippie. Um, but, you know, they all look like FBI agents, but they play <laughs> they play the music uh, better than any band in the world. And uh, we've been together for about 11 years now. I'm proud of them. I love these guys. They're my brothers. Um, you know, we are a bipartisan band, you know, um, and, uh, I, I figure if within a five member band, if we can make it work and we have our own political beliefs, if we can make it work, then anybody can make it work. And, uh, 
when we go out on that stage, we don't take politics uh, or, or our troubles at home or any family problems. When we go out there, you know, we are focused on that music to play it correctly with energy and fervor for the people. And we do it every single time we play and people love us. So I thank you so much, Frank, for the opportunity to promote the movie. And as I said, I don't make a dime on it. Um, it's the story had to be told and it came down to me to have to tell it. And, uh, so, you know, just amazing. I, I, Artemis, I'm just blown away and I, I'm sure the audience is as well. And I, I hope I can get you back for, uh, for a part two. There's so much to talk about. Uh, your, your military career, I, first of all, we'll never be able to thank you and all your, all your colleagues and all your, uh, all the folks that have, have served this country, and we, you know, we love you for that, and and thank you for that. What you've done for music is unbelievable. You are a heroic figure, I, you know, many times in your your life. But I, what a what a story. Let me remind everyone: we've been speaking with Artemis Pyle, the great Artemis Pyle, Rock and Roll Hall of Famer, uh, surviving member of Leonard Skinnerd and a surviving member of the plane crash. And it's told in this film, and it is a must-watch, Street Survivors, the true story of Leonard Skinner's plane crash. The, no, I'm sorry, the, uh, the true story of the Leonard Skinner plane crash. And uh, the outline was written by Artemis, and, uh, and who better to do it? Artemis, do you have a website or a social media site where you can point us, uh, where we can follow along with, uh, with the Artemis Pyle Band? Well, Frank, um, I've never, ever touched a computer in my life. I've never downloaded anything, sent or received an email. I don't own a computer. Now, of course, I know that my iPhone is a computer, uh, but I use it, you know, to talk to my grandchildren and my children and, uh, and, and, and everything. So, uh, but my band, they're all computer savvy, and, uh, and my children are computer whizzes. So we have a... Uh, website artemispileband.com that the band set up for us and um, you can go to that it gives our uh, where we're going to be our schedule it has you know photos and, and videos uh, and a you know synopsis of, of the band um, so it's it's out there and uh, for anybody to visit um, you know please do uh, I, I I'm a marine my father was a marine uh, my uncle was a Marine. His father was a Marine. Um, and I joined uh, in 1967 during the height of the Vietnam conflict. I did not go to Vietnam. I want that very clear. Uh, I'm a veteran, but I did not. I had my orders in my hand to go to Vietnam when my father was killed in a mid-air plane collision in Albuquerque, New Mexico, hit from above and behind by a B-57 weather recon bomber. And he was killed instantly at 49 years old. And when I turned 50, I realized how young 49 is. Um, so, you know, uh, my my dream was to be a captain in the Marines. I had I had been accepted uh, to Officers Candidate School. I was going to go to Quantico there in Virginia and uh, get my captain's bars, go to flight school. After Dad was killed in that plane crash, I was the administrator of his estate. And um, I signed the papers to his wrongful death the same day that I recorded Saturday Night Special for the Burt Reynolds movie. Um, it was very emotional. 
um, and and everything. But that was the dream. But after Dad was killed, I, it's it's kind of a ironic. I I was going to be a captain in the Marines flying jets, uh, but I became a drummer in a rock band. <laughs> so <laughs> life life uh, life throws you some curves, and you just you just got to go with it. And uh, I uh, you know I, after watching William Shatner go to space this morning. Uh, I, I, you know, and I, I, I spoke to Mr. Shatner one time when I played on that Christmas song for him and, you know, I, I he loved what I did and, uh, I'm a horseman. He's a horseman. I, I just so connected with that, with that space flight this morning. Um, it was, it was pretty amazing. He's 90 years old. Amazing. So, um, you know, I, I still love flight of all forms. I, if I have to get on a plane, you know, I lived in Jerusalem, Israel, in the castle of King David for three years where I studied uh, Old Testament. Mm. And, um, I, you know, I, I have to get on an airplane every once in a while. So I'm not afraid to fly. I just say my prayers and leave it up to God. Just uh, amazing. Uh, what a what a life, what a career. Artemis Pyle is the voice that you've been hearing, um, legendary Rock and Roll Hall of Famer of the legendary group Leonard Skinner. The name of the movie, one last time, Street Survivors, the true story of the Leonard Skinner plane crash. Uh, the outline of this uh, of this film was written by Artemis Pyle. Frank McKay signing off. Artemis Pyle has been our very special guest. See the movie, get the soundtrack. Uh, Frank McKay signing off. Artemis Pyle, once again, was our very special guest. We'll see you all next time on Breaking It Down. <laughs>